Hello, everyone, and welcome to AC23, your weekly refill of arts and culture from the Capital Region. My name is Chancellor Zero Skidmore. My producer is Jeremy Porcine. You can stream this episode and previous episodes at the Arts Council's website, www.artsbr.org, or you can go to Apple Podcasts to stream it, subscribe to it, and give it five stars. Now, I know people have been complaining that they can't give it six stars, but I told my mama five is the most they'll allow you to give. I know it's messed up, but we have to accept the things that we can't change. If you've been driving through downtown Baton Rouge, you've probably been seeing the exterior of the Caris Siraj Community Arts Center come together. Well, the interior is coming together as well, nicely. It's going to be one of the coolest arts facilities in the state, dedicated to the creative process with spaces for sculpting, painting, ceramics, theater rehearsals, dance rehearsals, audio recording, podcasting, and small performances. On top of all that, there will be office spaces for arts organizations to conduct business. All you artists and arts professionals can come get a sneak peek at this year's Louisiana Art Summit on September 20th through 21st. The rest of you can get a ticket to the party of the year that is Impact, which will be held there on September 30th. Save those dates. The time of laying eyes on folks is at hand, and I can't wait to see y'all. Other arts calendar highlights. Um, If you'd like to represent the city of Baton Rouge as its Poet of Distinction, the application for Baton Rouge Poet Laureate is now open to all submissions. If you or anyone you know is an adult poet living in Baton Rouge, you are eligible to apply. Go to artsbr.org slash poet hyphen laureate. Submit your application and upload your materials by May 30th, 2021. Don't wait until the last minute. Do this immediately, if not sooner. Also, time is running out to see the exhibit entitled Evicted. It's up until May 28th at the Firehouse Gallery located at 427 Laurel Street. It's a multimedia arts installation that focuses on the other epidemic that is low-income renter eviction. Go to artsbr.org to register your group to get a look at it before it continues its tour around the country and leaves Baton Rouge forever. That's uh, May 28th at the Firehouse Gallery. There's another event I got to talk about, but it's part of this guy's introduction. So first of all, I need to let you know that this week's guest is a fellow percussionist. So if I seem extra friendly and accommodating, you understand why it's a drummer thing. This man not only plays hand drums and drum sets, his forte is vibraphone, and he's a master of that instrument. He has three jazz fusion albums under his belt, including the new album entitled Soul Survivor. He teaches at Baton Rouge Community College, and he and his band are going to outshine the stars as part of our Jazz Listening Room series when they perform on Corum Hall's outdoor patio on May 28th. Dr. Charles Brooks, welcome to AC23. Zero, thank you for that beautiful introduction, my friend. Well, you know, that's what I do, bro. Thank you for having me here today. I appreciate it very much. So let's go back. We're going to go back to the beginning because I know people. Let's roll it back. That little bit you just said, people probably caught, oh, that's not really a Louisiana accent. (laughs) (laughs) When when people ask me where I'm from, I tell them the South. Uh, And they go, what part? And I'm like, well, the South, man. Uh, Part of of my draw comes from Tennessee. Part of it comes from Alabama. Part of it comes from Kentucky. And a little bit of it is here, (laughs) depending (laughs) on when you catch me. That's a wide Uh, draw. It is. Dude, you don't even know. Uh, No, my father was a band director. And one of the things that he did on a regular basis um, and I don't know if he liked to do this because uh, of something uh, educational or personal, but his 
forte when I was growing up, at least what I saw, was him going to schools that had 10 or 15 kids in the band, taking about two or three years and building the program up Mm -hmm. and then handing it off to somebody. Mm. So my upbringing was very much the military brat without the yelling and the level of discipline that that those kids have to deal with so i moved around a lot i've lived all over the south so that's that's why now in my later years depending on when you hear me you know if you're in a class with me i may be speaking this way yeah (laughs) code switching yeah yeah that's awesome that's awesome where were you born I was actually born in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, one month after I was born, my dad got his first gig in Alabama. So I I was born in Kentucky and then shipped to Alabama for a while. Wow, wow. Yeah. So did, did, did dad push you into music? No. Or you were just exposed? No, it was the opposite. Um, I was exposed to it. My, my mother was a musician, too. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and we're talking about from the time I was born, Beatles to Beethoven. Wow. I, I, I mean, all kinds of music. Um my my parents loved the Statler brothers and the Oak Ridge boys. Yeah. Um, on car trips, I would have to suffer through <laughs> Elvira. Elvira. <laughs> uh, you know, but then after that, this beautiful gospel tune would come on that they sang a cappella. And then after that, they I don't know if anybody remembers this. In the 80s, there was this thing called Hooked on Classics where some some person went and put a house beat behind all of the great classical pieces of music. Yeah, I remember. We had that whole series bro so we would go from you know my dad was a trumpet player so we'd put some doc severinson in from the tonight show you know and then um you know you know it was all over the place so i very much had an upbringing kind of the way charles ives did just listening to everything being around me that's beautiful um and when i got to college weirdly enough for one year i was undeclared I was going to be an architect, and I took one of the math classes, and then I said, where's the drum set at? I'm going to see y'all later, uh, <laughs> because I, I figured out very quickly it wasn't the path for me. Um, but what did that was me getting my first gig teaching a drum line right out of high school, one of my dad's uh, fraternity brothers, because we moved back home to Kentucky by this time. Yeah. And one of his fraternity brothers had been teaching at this small school in, in Kentucky, and his drum line was just... They were good kids. They just had me guidance, and and he hired me to come in, and we started winning trophies, and they started tightening up, and I was that was just what we did. Even in high school, I was a part of band that just did well. Even yeah. if we didn't bring a trophy home, we just went out and played well. So at some point, um, you know, this guy and I, and I won't say his name, but uh, we're standing on the fifty yard line at a band competition, and this is the end of my first year as a, a undeclared major. And they're announcing the awards. People's parents are watching their kids accept awards. And my man comes over and stands next to me and doesn't look at me or anything. and says, boy, what are you doing with your life? Your daddy tells me that you're not a music major. And he just read me the riot act right there in front of everybody. And it sat with me. And so I went and changed over to a performance major. And then that's how we got into this. Yeah, yeah. So so how'd you end up in Baton Rouge? Another very, very weird story. Um, my undergrad teacher, Dr. Christopher Norton, got his doctorate at LSU. And when we all started getting good in undergrad, ooh, the Norton clones, that was literally a name they had for us. It used to just bug. I don't know why, man. Maybe we was just young. But it used to bug the crap out of us, man, yeah. all the time. We're not clones. You know, we're artists. All right? So when we got time to go to a school, LSU was the last place I was going to go. You couldn't convince me to come here Wow. because Norton came here. So I had studied composition with the head of the studies at Alabama. He did a residence for a year at my school, and I studied with him. 
Um, I had also uh, met uh, the percussion instructor from University of South Car- uh, Southern California, USC, um, at a convention, and I had met um, the gentleman that teaches at Boulder, Colorado, and those were the three places I was looking at. And a friend of mine who's at the Hellcat military band now, Andrew Porter, I don't mm-hmm. know his official title, but uh, he's been there for a while. He called me and said, man, you got to come down here. And I'm, I'm not coming down there. He's like, no, you got to come down here because he was always working on his master's in performance. He's like, Chuck, you have to come here. And I told him I was doing it in Alabama. He said, well, look, fly to New Orleans. It'll be cheaper, and then I'll drive you over to Alabama. We'll have some time to just hang because I hadn't seen him in a while. I thought, what a great idea. So I fly in. We get to his apartment. He's like, oh, by the way, man, I booked you an audition in the morning at 9 o'clock with Doc. So we'll do that, and then we'll hit the road. And I said, man, I'm not trying to come here. And he's like, well, just treat it as practice. And that's what I did. I went in and played the audition. I was very relaxed because I had no plans to come here. No pressure. And when I finished, the guy stood up and said, you're my new graduate assistant. Welcome to LSU. And, and I said, well, well, boss, I have other auditions. That guy called me every Wednesday night at 730. What? To make sure that I had not chosen another school yet. When other schools offered me assistantships, he took my a recording that I didn't know they made of my uh, audition and submitted it to a fellowship. So I was on a double. I was a teaching fellow and a graduate assistant at LSU Whoa. for three years. I went full time um, and nobody could match. When, when I told everybody that called me about assistantships, and they're like, we're going to give you three thousand dollars a semester. And I was like. Well, LSU's doing this. <laughs> right, right. And they're like, well, have a good time in Louisiana. Everybody, even the cats that I went to audition for. So I wound up down here because a friend of mine booked an audition and made me go do it. Wow. Yeah. That's a good friend. He got you a good deal. He's a great friend, man. And an education and some, some money in your Bruh, pocket. Bro, I, 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 it, it turned out to be the best decision I've ever made. I met my wife here. I met you guys here. Yeah. That's how I wound up in, in Louisiana. Wow, 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 wow. I never I never heard that story. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about the pandemic because I uh, – Absolutely. Like like a lot of artists, once the, uh, the shutdown happened, you, you kind of took to Facebook. And you were, more than anybody I know, the most consistent with your, your Facebook Live performances. Thank you. What's that experience been like? Um, it has its ups and downs. It's really – it was really great when it – I have some friends that live in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. um, some cats that I pledged in Famu Alpha when I was in Kentucky, and one of them is in a boy band now. I don't know if you could really call it a boy band. They sing boy band music, but it's called Metro. His mm-hmm. name's Kevin Thornton, and I saw the the news flash, coronavirus is in China, and so I, 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 I didn't have his phone number, so I got on social media and contacted him. He said, uh, you know, we need masks, so I went and bought masks and shipped them to him. I thought, man, he must be going through some serious business right now. Yeah. A m- month later, <laughs> I'm standing in my hallway, and my my boss says, go home. I was like, what do you mean, go home? You go home. He said, no, we're all going home. I said, what do you mean? He said, go home and watch the news. So, um, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. Right? <laughs> it's like, you know, the coronavirus, go home and watch the news. So I, I went home and watched the news, and I thought, well, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. This is going to get, our leaders are going to clean this up. And then it kept getting worse and worse and worse, and we were out of school for three weeks, and then we made the switch to online. When, the, when we made the switch to online, uh, maybe it was two weeks. I don't think we waited that long. And just to remind everybody, you were teaching at uh, uh, BRCC. Ba- yes, sir, Baton Rouge Community College. Mm-hmm. We didn't wait that long, but when we made that transition, that was a nonverbal cue to me that we were in something for the long haul. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, phase one came in and everything shut. 
And I started thinking that first week of phase one, everybody's got to be just dying to listen to something, even if it is me by myself for a minute. Yeah. So I started broadcasting at eight o'clock on Fridays and then, you know, Friday night vibes just kind of rolled itself out of my, it's like, we'll just call it Friday night vibes. And then, um, what I started doing because I play a lot of standard jazz, most, most people, even in Louisiana still listen to a lot of popular music. So I would go look up songs that were important to me, like, um, nothing compares to you, which was actually written by Prince. A lot of people don't know that. And I'm like, I'm going to play a Prince hour. And I did that. I played one Friday night. It was just Prince tunes. Uh, one Friday night, it was just uh, rock tunes. The other Friday night. So I, I try to have a healthy mix and make backing tracks. And it started out with me trying to give back to the community a little bit because I never charged for this one time. Right. And um, I know, <laughs> I started to see my wife, who is my manager, puts up a tip jar. And if somebody wants to do that, I'm fine. But I, I don't ask for that, um, especially in the beginning, because nobody was was working. Right. Nobody was working. Nobody had incomes and nobody could see anything. And so what I found out over the course of about a month is that a lot of my friends with kids were calming their children down on Friday nights with Friday night vibes. Oh, yes. Turning it on low and just letting the vibraphone kind of wash s- over, slow them down and put them to bed. Well, if you go on uh, Apple Podcasts and, and look up the lullabies. Oh, yeah. They're all like vibes. That makes perfect and they're like popular sense. songs. Yeah. So and there's so many albums and, struck. like any any song you can name, there's a lullaby version of it on Apple Podcast. And see, I I didn't even think about that. What where this fell into place for me playing non vibraphone tunes on the vibraphone was from a cat named Alex Skolnick. I don't know if you remember the band Striper from the nineties. They were a Christian heavy metal band. Okay. They had about 15 minutes of popular f- success in 91 or 92, but then retreated very quickly. Well, the, the lead guitar is a cat named Alex Skolnick, and when that band broke up, he stayed in L.A. and started another trio and started playing heavy metal tunes but jazzing it up. There's an uh-huh. album called Goodbye to Modern Standards, Hello to New Romances. I've always seen uh, a connection uh, or, or let me say like a parallel between jazz and, and metal. Absolutely. Yeah. I see parallels between all musics. If you listen to really good bluegrass solos, mm. you're listening to bebop music, but, r- but the beat is just on the down instead of the up. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always felt that way. So I started seeing those connections when that when that cat played War Pigs mm-hmm. and swung it out. <laughs> My whole brain opened up, and I was like, I'm about to go on a tear because I grew up listening to heavy metal. My biggest – well, let me back up. I grew up listening to metal, but my biggest influence, I have to say, growing up was Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. That was the very first person I was exposed to, and from the very – and and the first thing I heard him do was the uh, national anthem at Woodstock. That was the very first thing I heard. It blew my mind. I was like 12 I was like, Pops, who is this? Yeah. So that's a guy named Jimi Hendrix. And he handed me these stacks that he had because, you know, at that time, the popular medium was albums. And I just started living with the experience, man. Jimi Hendrix and the experience. And uh, following that was a blues cat named Stevie Ray Vaughan. Oh, yeah. That influenced my life a whole lot musically. Um, when I began to study the vibraphone, a lot of cats were transcribing vibraphone solos. And I'd been standing at the vibraphone with the speakers on playing along with Milk and Lionel for a long time already. And um, 
I had a really good jazz teacher. Uh, his, his cat's name is uh, Jerry Tashwa. He's a muster artist. He's Gary Burton's first student from Berkeley to mm-hmm. get a, a vibraphone degree from him. And that cat moved to Nashville for some reason. As soon as I heard it, I, I drove to his house. Sir? Sir, I need some lessons. You know, <laughs> I just showed up. And he's him and his wife have a deal, and he's a really nice guy. And, and I was doing Blue and Green by Miles Davis on my master's degree recital. And, and when we started talking about soloing, he said, you need to listen to other people than vibraphonists. Just stop listening to vibraphonists for a while. You've done the work, and go listen to other people. And then I started transcribing John Schofield solos, and then I started transcribing Stevie Ray Vaughan solos, and then so I started— Guitar virtuoso. Wes, Wes Montgomery. Yeah, just like all the guitar cats. I was in, and, and then that's really where a lot of, uh, I guess, compositionally, the stuff that I do kind of comes into play because I do run the vibes through some effects— I do have a board, and a lot of the stuff that I'm going to be doing on the 28th is going to be very Hendrix-esque. Oh, if I could man. coin a tone, if I could make up a term very quickly, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be very Hey Joe. It, yeah, yeah, man. Uh, third stone from the sun. Oh, man. The, I, I even do a medley of his tunes at some point. Um, you know, I, I, I keep a catalog. Plus, I was in a band and I played drum set in this band and, and we were basically a Jimi Hendrix band. Oh, man. And so people really dug that and we just kept giving it to them as long as we could. And so talking about drums, so you I've seen you on drum set. I've seen you on, <laughs> on, on hand percussion. What is it about the vibraphone? Is it your ability to play melodies? And, and man, that's a great question. Uh, chords? Yes. But it, it, I think it's a little deeper for me. Um, the way I got turned on to the vibraphone uh, was during my undergraduate career. I was in the big band at Western Kentucky University under the direction of Dr. Marshall Scott, who is a Yamaha-endorsed artist. He got his doctorate in Notre Dame, just an incredible player. Mm-hmm. And he carried two of everybody. <laughs> because if you got sick or you didn't show up, we had a spot field. Yeah. So there were two drummers, and we weren't competitive. We were very professional. We um, we mixed the parts up, but I could only sit for so long during rehearsals, you know. And there would be weeks where my half of the tunes weren't being uh, rehearsed. So I went and, and got all of the rhythm section charts that weren't being used, and started playing them on vibes. As soon as he heard that, he's like, "That's that's going in the the big band." <laughs> and so from that moment forward. Um, I started playing the vibes. I lived in the jazz lab, and there was a certain novelty to it that got me some attention, especially in Kentucky. Um, great state, not a lot of jazz. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Country, yeah. gospel, bluegrass, uh, that's that's great. And, and and we were very popular. I had a group that we played around Kentucky, and and I, I don't know how we did it, uh, but it, we played around Kentucky playing jazz standards, mainly fusion stuff. And but it's good music. People it, want people are going to want to hear it. I mean, you know, Kentucky's not known for jazz. Right. But, but it, it if you play something and it, if you have a good time while you're doing it, generally people tend to have a good time and they don't care what you play as long as there's a good time to be had. So. So true. I guess what I, I you know, part of this also goes back to my first teacher, um, not really forcing us, but requiring us to go to percussive art society international conventions and i spent a summer at berkeley and i sat in front of gary burton while he played a solo concert yeah you know and at that time i i was very serious i was always serious about music 
but I never considered myself a vibist until I saw these people play music without a bass player, but still have a bass line mm. on a limited ranged instrument. Yeah. Uh, sound very big on a limited range instrument. And limited range, just for our listeners, you have like, what, two octaves, three octaves? Three and a half. Three and a half octaves. Yeah, which sounds like a lot, uh, but it's not really. It, yeah, it's not a, a lot of real estate. Yeah, a full piano keyboard. It's 88 keys. Yeah. It's I, a, I have three, three and a half octaves, 22 keys, like, yeah. 23 keys. So, <laughs> you know, I have to make some decisions. And so I started seeing, I saw from an early age also, solo instrumentalist and and I, I guess probably owning a vibraphone was the other thing that kind of set off a series of events because mm. those those instruments are expensive and you can't just have one at your house like you can a yeah. guitar that you can pick up you know so i i spent a lot of time playing the vibraphone by myself mm. and trying to sound like a full band so before we, before we go yeah um Who's playing with you okay. on the 28th at yeah. Decorum Hall? So we got a special treat. This is uh, the the very first person I ever played jazz with, and um, he's one of my friends and brothers from uh, Western, Find Me Alpha. His name's Scott Hall. He's an active guitar player in Nashville. Um, Michael Foster from the Michael Foster Project will not be playing sousaphone, <laughs> but will be playing his five-string electric bass, and, yes, yes. and he's been working on some effects and some other things. And then, of course, Chris the Cat Lee, uh, I'm going to turn him loose so you can expect to see a lot of drums and we're going to do some hand drum. I'm, we're going to do some duos. Oh, cool. Yeah. So and, and I've written a couple of Latin tunes that I'm going to turn him loose on and just let him run. Um, and of course, myself. So uh, I hope you like it weird. Yes, indeed. And you're doing some stuff from the new album. <laughs> yes, we're gonna we're gonna premiere. Uh, there's two tunes on the album that are kind of this electric thing that you can't really do. They're just I don't want to say novelty pieces or filler pieces because they're not, but um, they're not performable on acoustic instruments. Yeah. Um, but the other six tunes are, and then we're gonna be playing six tunes from the previous album that um, I premiered at the Dyson House a few years ago. So, oh, awesome. it, And this is a new band. The Charles Brooks Collective is just, you know, zero. There's a hundred of us, and we all play gigs. So the collective is that. So yeah. this is going to be a completely original, a new concert, even though we're going to be playing some older tunes. Awesome. Well, y'all, uh, definitely go to artsbr.org and get your tickets. Uh, Dr. Charles Brooks and his band uh, are going to be over at Quorum Hall, that's May 28th at 7.30 p.m. Uh, we're going to be outside on the patio, and I'm claiming good weather. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We're going to manifest some sunshine. Thank you for coming on the show Thank today, you bro. for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a great experience. Awesome. Well, everybody out there, this is Chancellor Zero Skidmore for AC23. I'll see y'all at a show. Peace. <laughs>